This is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live with Adam Zinkus. Is that how I say your last name? It is. Okay, great. Like, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful morning here, uh, Southwest Florida. So, uh, hopefully, it'll stay not too hot today. Yeah, I'm in New Hampshire, so we're already already a little chilly. Um, so, like, one of the things we have, we have a sponsor. You can see up there. We listen on Newsly. Newsly is a is an app that takes this podcast and uh, converts it to audio so people can stop scrolling and start listening if you use coupon code ghost to get one month free premium subscription so we encourage people to listen to this podcast on newsly after we're off the air uh so thank you very much for being on the show and uh we typically deal with a lot of uh creative people we we interview like musicians and artists and film directors and we think that like what you're talking about your services the things that you do do it would help a lot of this. So everybody who's a musician is an entrepreneur. They have their own websites. They they sell merch. They do all kinds of things. So I think a lot about can help anybody. Business artist, we are in business. So that that's my kind of pitch for this episode. If that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, obviously, podcasting space uh, is a huge part of. Um, the you know the visual arts and, and audio art space and so um, you know it's a huge tool and and you know we go beyond that and go you know how do we actually get people to listen and love what we're doing right you know I think that's ultimately most most of the musicians most of the artists most of the actors and actors yeah. actresses I know just want to be loved. <laughs> Yeah, and the whole thing is um, how to market, whether you're selling widgets or whether you're selling CDs, you know, anything mm -hmm. that, that you, you sell is the same kind of, maybe different strategies for artists versus people selling like, you know, like uh, warehouse type stuff. But so, so one of the things that they quit was um, how can you build better leads for my website? Um, maybe just the whole idea of like, how should you even Build that website to, to, to be able to interact with your audience. Yeah, so that's an interesting question, right? You know, and and what I think is important when you're talking about website is we need to think about how are our users, how are the people that are going to come to the website going to enjoy it, right? And, and in the case of you know music and, and television and arts, you know. How do we create content that gives them that feeling that they can be involved in it? And so, um, you know, obviously, merch store is a huge part of you know any any uh, any business in this in, in this space. Um, but you know, there's other ways to drive people in, right? You know, creating a podcast, creating you know content specifically geared towards your communities that you um, you know so. Um, one of the things I always encourage people to do is let's build a community around what you're doing, right? And that, that's whether it's business, whether it's entertainment, um, mm -hmm. how do we build that community so that people come in and it's we give them value beyond what I can do just by going to your website, right? And so that usually looks like some sort of membership and, and I encourage people to always start off with free memberships. Um, I think it's a great, great tool, um, you know, and just get people in the community and maybe once a month you spend a half an hour for your community members exclusively going, 
let's do a Q&A, right? You know, give them an opportunity to be engaged with you. Um, and as soon as you start doing that, you know, people see that, you know, A, you're, you're a real person, right? You know, I think that's we connect as, as humans with other humans. And, and B, you're providing value beyond just buy my stuff. Right? Yeah. And, you know, we all want to be sold to, but we don't want to be sold to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, people have a tendency, you know, the thing with music, the problem with the musicians, we, we get people that will listen to our music. Well, we get people that go on YouTube, you get 5,000 views, nobody hits the subscribe, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's yeah. this like reluctance to actually hit the button. Yeah. And so you, you'll have fans, you know, I've sometimes have had episodes that hit seven, 8,000 people and then no, like five people subscribed. And, and you, I, what I found is you have to ask the people to subscribe. Like you mm-hmm. do have to ask them, but it, it is, you know, it is kind of like, how do you get that engagement? If you get the people watching, but they won't hit the button. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of things, right? You, you mentioned one of them. You have to ask, first of all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't ask, nobody will ever take an action on it. Um, the second thing I think that's important to remember is we have to design the content for them, right? It's very, very rarely will somebody hit subscribe on the first video they watch of you. It's likely mm-hmm. going to be the fifth, sixth, or seventh video. Okay. So if we have 7,000 people watching this video, right? How do we get translate those 7,000 people to watch five more videos? Mm-hmm. And, and so in the case of YouTube, YouTube has playlists. YouTube has tiles um, that you can put up on your videos at different points, um, you know, beginning, middle, end um, to get people to click towards other videos of yours. Um, in the case of podcasts, it's how do I connect episode to episode, right? You know, mm-hmm. so that, you know, people... In all honesty, we are a Netflix culture, right? We, we binge the things we love, we binge. Yeah. You know? and, and so how do I create that binge-worthy moment for my listeners, for my, uh, you know, for the people watching me? You know? and, and that's the moment we're trying to create. And so, you know, what I think the biggest thing that we struggle with in that is we try and do everything, you know, on the fly, right? It's, it's the busy world. And, you know, so I spend a lot of time, especially with my, when I run my podcasts, which is built around business. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time actually planning, how do we connect the concepts together? How do we talk about something in episode 95 that we also mentioned in episode 65? So people go look for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I create those moments to go back and forth video to video to create that binge-worthy experience. That's interesting, but if you have a podcast where you're actually interviewing different guests from different, like like I have typically emerging and independent artists, mm-hmm. and I would like to find a way, you know, through, you know, StreamYard doesn't offer a way to connect a button to do a to do any kind of subscription while you're going live. You know, yeah. maybe if you go like on the replay, even Anchor doesn't offer that. So it would be better. It would be cool if some of the companies would offer these capabilities would get more engagement. You know, I'm an IT guy. It's like, well, if you guys created a button to do that. Then we could put that in there, but you didn't do that. So it's like, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think it comes down to how you script your episode though too. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and this is careful planning. So, 
you know, so one of the things I have a very, very strict process of how I set up each episode and I do an interview show as well. Um, you know, and we're talking to people in all facets of business. Um, and you have to pause and you have to go, okay, so this week we're talking to somebody that's an expert in marketing. We're specifically going to dive down this piece of marketing. How does this piece of marketing tie back to, you know, the six other marketers that I've talked to, right? And so, you know, I take that time and I keep notes. I actually have just kind of a long running Word document of the quick, you know, like three sentence summaries of each episode with a couple of key points so that I literally, as I'm planning that next episode, I can go, okay, uh, all right, that's the episode we need to talk about. And I create my notes around that. Um, you know, I think we get in this space a lot of times as, you know, artists, as creators that we, we get comfortable with what we're doing and we do it on the fly. And I firmly believe that when you have a, uh, a practice of going through and running the episode, you know, I, obviously I don't like ask my guests to come on and interview them pre- you know, interview them and then we're going to interview the the real thing for the show. But, you know, I run through, you know, what questions could I have? What media do they have that I can drive some other questions through? What are some anticipated responses that I can expect from them um, to drive the conversation? I almost have like a script in play, right? Yeah. And, and it it seems very natural on the episode, but it's all very, very intentional. And and that's where we need to get when we're talking about how do we drive engagement? How do we get people involved with what we're doing? We have to be intentional about everything we do from how we talk to the community, how we schedule our social media, what words and what things we put on our website, when we put things on our website, um, you know, all make a difference, you know, and it's all about the behavior of the people that are consuming what you're doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, being an artist and being, you know, primarily, you know, focused with musicians, it's more kind of, I do have preset questions that go to most of the artists I talk to. And, um, and that's more kind of from an interview perspective with the business people I've talked to. I don't have a priest and I kind of go with the questions that they recommend. Um, so the, one of the questions you posed in, in that I've seen is, so me this activation on what you know works and so that's you know they're talking all that things but like can they actually show that they've got a proven record that they can generate leads that they can generate you know streams that they could generate you know people who are going to buy the t-shirt going to buy the merch mm-hmm rather than just like there's a lot of people out there will say they can do something and, and they offer a price and then there's no evidence factual evidence that they actually can do what they say they're doing you know it's interesting right you know there's there's tons of like online certification google offers like 15 different certifications perfectly free right and people go out and get google certified and all these different things and um and then they call themselves a marketer and and that's okay Right. You, everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, but the reality is, as a bit, you know, when you're looking at your content creation as a business, you have to step back and you have to go, who have they worked with? What have they done? 
can they show me results, right? Mm -hmm. um, true marketers will be able to go um, and show you the wins and the losses. And I encourage you to ask about the losses when you're going to work with a marketer, right? You know, mm -hmm. when's up, when, when is the time that you missed the mark and what did you do to course correct, right? You know, um, we, we obviously, we don't want to leave them in a place where like, we just, you screwed up and, you know, but so I always like to put that positive spin on it. Um, but it's, if they're willing to talk about their misses and their strategy to course correct, it's a pretty good indication that they have an idea of what they're doing. The other thing I think is important to remember is you should always be finding marketers that work in a similar space or have worked in a similar space that you're in, you know, um, so if you're in TV, film, things like that, you know, you want to work with somebody that has that specific set of experience from a marketing perspective. If you're, yeah. you know, music, um, you know, you want to work with people that have a little bit of background or have connections to the music community and understand how music promotions is different than selling widgets. Yeah, yeah. You want somebody like in the music industry today that like we have to deal with this thing you will get like music penny per stream, right? So the way mm -hmm. we make music money and music today is through sync licensing, right? So I'm working with yeah. a video game director in South Africa on an independent video game. I'm working with other artists on um, working on music and being paid to do that work, playing bass lines on somebody's record or producing somebody's record. That's how we make the money, right? So yeah. for us, you know, having this podcast has given me leads so that mm -hmm. I got work video game it got work being a session player got work doing production so maybe fam electric ghost is not in the top 20 on the chart but i make money from other ways because people find out about me from this so that's how i was able to kind of come up with my own strategy and it kind of just fell into it because i just like music right so i yeah. I, I got into it because i believe in it and then i got into this opportunity and i started getting connections for like newsly and all these other people so noticing that I love what I do and I've been doing mm -hmm. it since 2016 and you know I got a certain set of audience that, that recognizes what I do so I kind of did it that way I didn't kind of think about it and, and, and go get an MBA with a lot of research you know like I'm a formerist I'm a jazz artist right so we we tend yeah. to think in a different way but, but yeah you're saying if we <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, a lot of us in the creator space in general, um, in the in the creative arts space in general, um, went down that path, right? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I started my podcast at the beginning of COVID because, well, I, I had time and I wanted to talk to people about what they were doing to survive. And, you know, that was like, that was it, right? You know, there was no forethought to it. There was no strategy to it. Um, that all that came down the line, but what I learned from those moments, like you, you know, you learn how to capitalize on those moments and take them into a space that generates revenue, that creates opportunities to talk to people that you may not always have access to otherwise, right? And and that's I think um, when you're thinking about your content, when you're thinking about everything that you're doing in the marketing space. How are you creating those moments to talk to the people that will drive revenue and drive opportunity? 
Yeah, I think it's really important to, to, to you know, to have a script. And then so if you're going to start getting into, you know, wanting people to come back, that you you add value, you know, to your, to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Like people want to watch your podcast. Like, what is the goal? Like, oh, well, they just like me. You know, well, maybe that's cool because you can be personality based. You know, you can yeah. get, you know, you got you. Tubers, a lot of them, right? You know, so they, or they they're they're TV personalities. They've got charisma, but they're not mm-hmm. like an <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think um, we we get stuck in this. Um, you know, I have to have a TV or radio voice to do all this stuff, right? I have to be this big personality. And the reality is, is, um, you know, there's something like 57,000 new and active podcasts um, right now. Um, there's roughly 2.1 million podcasts worldwide. Uh, and, and we get stuck in this, I have to be in the top 10. You don't have to be in the top 10, right? You just have to create content that your audience, yeah. the people that you <laughs> want to talk to cares about, yeah. right? If that's, if the people, if you only want to talk to a hundred people, um, cool, like go for it. Um, because that's where your niche lives, right? You know, if you want to talk mm-hmm. to 10,000 people, what do those 10,000 people really want to hear from you? And those 10,000 people will find you. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think you have to love what you do. And then once you love what you do, then get an audience and then to kind of cultivate that audience and, and build it so that you get more engagement and get beyond that niche, right? Initially, it was mm-hmm. only an independent musicians, right? Now I'm talking to somebody like you, right? I That wasn't my original plan, but beyond that. But I found the way podcasting since 2016, you know, when I first started, I could just do musicians. What has shifted, I've had to start opening it up to entertainment, opening it up to, you know, CEOs, SEO people, marketing groups, shamans, all types of people. It just opened up to wide, way wider than what I initially anticipated. And some people, I don't know if that's true. I mean, what would be your recommendation? I found that, you know, being in a narrow niche, it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. That I had to actually open. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's an niche. Niches are a great place to start, right? Because if you try and market to everybody right off the bat, um, very rarely will you talk to anybody, you know, because your messaging is um, so it, it just mm-hmm. isn't going to resonate with everybody. So I believe in starting with niches. But that being said, once you have put a foothold into that niche. You're right. You know, you have to start. You know, figure out how do I expand this? How do I bring in more value so that other people want to come be a part of what I'm putting together? And you know, sometimes that looks like expanding. You know, in the podcasting world, that may look like expanding topics. That could look like creating a second show um, and in utilizing your current listener base to kind of uh, jumpstart the the engagement for that. It could be. Um, starting a, a second YouTube channel or creating a, 
a alternative YouTube strategy around, you know, some different contents, maybe some behind the scenes stuff that's just hits in a different way than, mm-hmm. um, you know, than what you've traditionally done. And so, you know, I always, um, I always try and when I, when I'm recording a podcast, I always try and have my phone up and, and record, you know, just behind the scenes footage, uh, uh, all bearing that I can get my desk clean um, before <laughs> I get to recording. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it creates, it creates, well, it's the same content. It creates a different view of it. Right. And I yeah, start yeah. that recording process before we get on, you know, as I'm clicking around, setting things up, you know, things like that. Um, you know, so people can kind of see that little bit of the behind the scenes. What does it look like as we're actually getting this thing put together, as we're having the conversation, post-conversation, and you create some unique moments? That's a good idea because I got multiple webcams and I just started, I, I just got subscriber uh, ability to have subscribers on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're going to do on the Instagram, just as an example, is like, okay, I write poetry. I write lyrics. Right. Yeah. So when I get my subscriber base, I'm going to actually have poetry readings with the groups of people who subscribe. Right. I've oh, got a collection awesome. of poetry I can actually give away. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a, a subscriber only thing. I can go, I have multiple webcams so I can actually film this, what this show with other webcams while I'm doing it. And I'm actually doing that. So I'm creating that content, like you just said. So when I get my subscriber base, they're going to be able to see behind the scenes type of stuff and they're yep. going to be able to a different content than I would normally do. And that's why I figured I would focus for that kind of fan. It's like a fan club, like musicians mm-hmm. have fan clubs for years. We have fanzines. We have things where we just give the, the hardcore audience, right? They get the special stuff. They get special singles. Nobody else gets, they get yeah. like vinyl. Nobody else gets, they get posters. Nobody else gets, it's just like a niche. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's interesting you talk about Instagram, right? You know, you, the Facebook, obviously, um, you know, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Twitter, you've got TikTok and um, and YouTube. And, you know, and those are kind of the big social platforms. Um, yeah. And and the one thing that I see a lot of people struggle with when they when we talk social media is how do I drive engagement on all the platforms? Right. Um, because it's, everybody's like, I want it, somebody, I want people from everywhere. I'm like, okay, but where are your people at now? And where do they, where else do they go? Right. Because like for me in business, like I spend a lot of time in Facebook cause I work with a lot of people in the small business community and main street America businesses live in Facebook. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also work with midsize uh, companies that are a little bit bigger in scale. They don't live in Facebook. They live in LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. So no, from a, a, a strategic standpoint, I don't worry about Instagram too much. I post there, but I don't mm-hmm. worry about it. I don't worry about Twitter too much because it doesn't drive a whole lot of value for my business. Um, so I pretty much am focused on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you know, not to say that I don't put out content on other platforms, but it's like not TikTok crowd is, is maybe not the, the crowd that you're going to yeah, pull. <laughs> yeah. For me, the TikTok cr- crowd is probably not the best crowd for me. Um, though there is a lot of opportunity there and, and I've been doing a lot of reading about how to capitalize on that from a business perspective. Um, but you know, obviously music arts, um, yeah. I discover, I, I love music. I love listening to all different types of music. And I would say, 
um, probably two to three times a week, I discover some new artist or some new group that's, you know, local, regional, um, mm-hmm. and, and go find them on Spotify and, and yeah, like, we'll Apple music. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, after, after TikTok, after seeing them on TikTok, because I'm like, man, I saw this like 30 second clip. I want to listen to more. I want more, yeah, from them, you know, they're like the underground college radio, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm a 55 year old guy. Right. And I was a radio guy on college radio. And college radio is how we used to break bands, right? Before MTV, yep. before the internet. You know, mm-hmm. we, college radio stations would get all this independent stuff from like IRS records and sub pop and all these small labels would target the college radio stations because it's like, hey, these guys are willing to play the new stuff. Yeah. And so that's how we got into it. And this, and this, where the sound clouds of the world are now are kind of yep. that's the place, like TikTok's the place, the reels are the place. So as a producer, I'm always encouraging, you know, artists that I work with, like, you got to go and do a reel. Yeah, you got to go mm-hmm. do a TikTok. And they're like, well, I'm not into that because I'm not a, I'm not a comedian. Because a lot of people who are musicians, they're like, well, that's all comic. That's all comedic comedy. And it's not true anymore because there's a no. lot of bands that like you just mentioned are breaking. So you got to, like, get out of that mindset and say it's not just comedy. There's a lot of irreverent comedy, I, I do admit. But, but yeah, there are tons of bands breaking there. So you, yeah. you got to try to get there. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite, uh, I guess you could call them up and coming. They're starting to become a little bit bigger. Is the five hundred twos, and they the the lead lead guy plays banjo, and they're kind of like this country, like really lighthearted, upbeat music, um, mm-hmm. you know. But it's not really a country vibe. It's it's kind of somewhere in the between. Maybe Americana, um, maybe a little yeah. bit of Americana. It's kind of like an old school band Dylan yep. stuff, you know. Yeah. But uh, they shoot all their videos like literally they have one where they're all like all seven of them are crammed into like a laundry room, like in an old country house, like and they're sitting like on the washer and the dryer and just (laughs) trying to fit into this space, like playing and just having a good time. And, you know, like that's how they shoot all of their all of their uh, TikTok videos, all their reels, because and it's like there's so much personality in those moments um and it's just like 30 or 45 seconds yeah, of their very, music you, you know but it's yeah. like there's so much personality uh, there it, it draws you yeah. in yeah you're very if you're authentic i mean you can have stylized stuff and there's room for that kind of mtv stylization right but there's a lot mm-hmm. of like you know if you think about the punk movement or the grunge movement even about kurt cobain and you know eddie better the oh, reason yeah. that that really hit was before that things were very stylized he had like the hair mm-hmm. bands, he had all these MTV bands, he had these corporate rock bands. And people got kind of burned out on the corporate rock bands because they all were kind of fake. You know, that people yep. love them, whatever. But the idea that you could be like, hey, I don't have to dress up. I don't have to have a costume. I'm just going to sing because I'm honest. Like Kurt, the Kurt Cobain style, kind of like mm-hmm. a Neil Young. He was taking like what Neil Young did with Crazy Horse and going further with it, right? Having yep. a punk aesthetic. That's, I tell people, like, if you just come in, you don't even have to have the best guitar, the best mic, the best anything. Just come in and be honest, right? If you mm-hmm. come in and do an honest um, thing, right? And you, it's a fourth take, right? You don't got to do 20, 30, 40 takes. <laughs> if that fourth, fourth take is closer to what you really wanted, and by the time you get to the 50th take, you've taken all the heart out of it. And yep. like, you know what? Sometimes you got to go with the early version. And I'm, I'm always telling people, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could we could do it on a dollar mic. That mic, if it's on a two hundred dollar mic, sounds better, just because it sounds more real. And that's where yeah. people have to get to 
oh, sometimes things are not being totally perfect, at least in art and music. Sometimes it's actually the heart of it and the soul of it and like a point in time thing that mm-hmm. actually is more important. It's just a different judgment. Yep. I call I call that the lumpy mashed potato philosophy, right? You know, lumpy mashed potatoes, you, you can't get them out of a box. You know, they're true and authentic, right? And they, because they, they're not perfectly smooth and, and perfectly blended and all that, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I try and latch onto that in the marketing space too, when we're talking about brand messaging for people, like how do we create those lumpy mashed potato moments? You know, how do we find those little gems of truly authentic brand mm-hmm. recognition? Yeah, it's kind of creative. It's like you think about advertising, it's like you think about the people who do commercials. It's like there's a lot of creativity in that and it's art. And sometimes it's like art and science, but sometimes it's yeah, they just threw something at the wall and it worked, you know. Yep. And and it's like you can sit there and plan it and the planned storyboarded thing doesn't work as good as the off the cuff the actor goes and does something, you film it and say, Hey, that actually works better. <laughs> Somebody better spend all this time scripting it and storyboarding it, and then the actor kind of freeforms it, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, that is so much better. We'll go with that." You know? <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Good Morning Vietnam, yeah. Um, but all the scenes in the radio booth with Robin Williams doing mm-hmm. the radio show, that he was a hundred percent ad lib. They well, they tried famous. to write for it, and he just he wouldn't wouldn't follow the script. He just did his own thing and. So they just started recording it. And, you know, obviously that's part of that. Part of what makes that movie, I think, gold, in, in my opinion, is like, you know, just that that authentic moments that, you know, you're like, I can totally see a hyped up crazy radio DJ like doing that. Yeah, it's more authentic. Because I deal with music, too. It's like you can get into the production people. You know, we can get on the bar, right? We can mm-hmm. actually go on sheet music and write it out bar by bar. Right. We can go into yep. the door and do it bar by bar. But a lot of times, like I'll go and say somebody's like, would Greg Allman and Dickie Betts do it that way? Would they really do it? Right. If you go back and listen to the Allman brothers, they didn't do it like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they did. You know, Hendrix didn't do that. He just went and did it. Right. And, that, yep. and it's something about just being comfortable in, in your own skin as an artist or an actor or, or anything, even a painter. You just go with like you what what we say is like what the universe gives us, right? Because we're like, we channel stuff, right? So mm-hmm. being a part of what you do is you channel feelings, experiences, what you know, all the music I've ever listened to, all the, you know, whatever I watched on TV, it just comes out and then you put it down and either it works or it doesn't, but that's the aesthetic. And, 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 then, and then you have to work with people in marketing to kind of pick out, oh, what's really going to work? But, you know, but when we write, that's how we write. But, you know, it, so it's always like you try to build purpose or, or trying to organize stuff. Being an artist, it's kind of like organized chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you have to figure out how much control you want to have. <laughs> yeah, I watched a, a PBS special quite a few years ago of Paul McCartney took and recreated by himself the entire White Album Uh on a four track recorder live in front of a studio audience. Yeah, I saw that. And it was like, it was just earth shattering to watch, you know, just him pick up instruments and then align everything, you know, real time. And like, you know, like just watching that 
that is an experience. And what I loved about that is it created an experience as a listener, right? You know, um, and it made me honestly, probably, you know, it just enhanced my fandom for being Paul McCartney and a Beatles fan, you know, from that moment, because I'm like, man, like just watching them take all of this energy and effort to do this. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about guys like Paul and, and, and John Lennon, I mean, their original kind of song, you know, they created kind of modern pop music for the fact mm-hmm. that how, how much art they put into it, right? For being a teen, they were kind of like the original teen, teen pop band, boy band. Yep. The Beatles were the original like boy band. But when they met yeah. George Martin, George Martin gave them the discipline like he was a music professor, right? So he came mm-hmm. in there and, and put, put basically put them into school. The whole history of it, he actually taught them the music theory. He taught them how to do the, the use the studio as an instrument. You know, understand their what they're trying to do and if you read the history of all the stuff they learned from him it basically you know into the beat you know or dylan or hendrix they always mention they're like the icons but these guys mm-hmm. they, they did and never got goes that far you know <laughs> as far yeah. as did <laughs> Yeah, it's it's absolutely but, amazing yeah, to thing there is those, to yeah. it's absolutely amazing to me to to see where we've come, you know, and in the fact that you can just now, you know, just literally drop in sheet music, upload upload sheet music and design mm-hmm. instruments and and get yeah. everything that you could possibly need out of it. Yeah, there's still something about like I, I, I run into the people who use the DAW. And, and I'm still mm-hmm. kind of a, I'm an old school guy. So I use a lot of multi-tracks. I kind of go real against the DAW because I think it takes, like I always point out to somebody, would you get exile on Main Street in a DAW? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I know, would you get bitches brew out of a DAW? You probably wouldn't. Um, so my whole point with people is like, yeah, you can create music and as it tends to be, they're a little too perfect. So mm-hmm. what I try to tell people is the honesty of why you like those classic songs from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s is because they were done raw, right? They were done mm-hmm. with, they have mistakes. That's one of the things they have to teach people. You go listen to old recordings and you really listen to them. They're full of errors. They're full of yep. key change errors, timing errors. They're not perfect, right? The drummer's not perfect. They don't stay on time through the whole song. They don't. And they don't stay in the same keys. They make a lot of mistakes. They're vocal mistakes. People have to understand that imperfection is part of the beauty of music, like any art. Mm-hmm. And that that's what I have to get into people's head is sometimes perfection is actually not the goal. Yeah. Okay. But that's a different type of conversation. But I understand where we are, where, where artists have to understand that is, you know, we're so creative. We have that creative chaos. We do have to get organized. Mm-hmm. We do have to start having plans. We do have to find a way There's like, well, you know, a lot of artists were like, well, I don't want to spend time on that. I'll go give it to somebody else because they're like, yeah. like I'd rather be in the studio all day. But, you know, you do have, if, you, if you're going to be independent and not, you're going to have to make some adjustments to how much time you're going to spend on certain things, right? So you're going to need to come like, well, how am I going to get likes and follows? How am I going to have a digital brand strategy? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Maybe we can kind of go now. So how is an artist might get the likes and follow on me? Yeah, you know, I think there, there's a few things at play here. One is, you know, consistency. Social media is about consistency, right? Um, so are you consistently putting out content? And, and it's not just here's my music content. It's, you know, we did this thing together as a band. We just had the most amazing session in the studio. Um, you know, so it's bringing people into the experience of being part of the band and part of the music. Um, so I think that's, that's a big piece. The other thing that I think is we need to focus on where our listeners are at, right? So, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook are probably the three platforms I'd recommend that every musician have a strong presence on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, and obviously YouTube, YouTube is, I, you know, it's a different, totally different beast than the other social media, but, um, you know, colossally important as well for people to consume what you're doing. Um, Even like SoundCloud, SoundCloud is where a lot of people start, you know, they get, mm -hmm. they get the underground movement there and then you move forward. Yep. Uh, you know, and I think SoundCloud is good, but I think, you know, I think it's, you can see quicker response, right? You know, everybody says, oh, marketing's long game, right? Well, there's things you can do but in, in shorten that life cycle a little bit, right? You know, so yeah. yeah, maybe you have that SoundCloud presence, but if I take what I'm doing on SoundCloud and I start dropping snippets into the other social media and start driving the interest, maybe run, you know, um, maybe run some live, um, you know, where, where we're just in the garage hanging out, you know, playing music and, and streaming, right? You know, um, creating those moments in other social platforms sooner um, you know, we can see that path quick, uh, much more quickly. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a long game, just has to yeah, be a consistent game. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I started introducing even back in 2016 is doing live rehearsals mm -hmm. on multiple media platforms. So on this yeah. platform, I, I'd run it to Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Yeah. And exactly. I got a, a whole audience that got into my process. I actually do brand new songs. Mm -hmm. I do off the cuff improvisational rehearsals. And then I'll cut them and stylize them and send them to TikTok and Reels and Instagram. And and, I, and it, from that, I've got producers. I had two Grammy award-winning producers come to me and say they liked what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I actually got them to come on my podcast. Now I wasn't even trying to get them to come on my podcast, mm -hmm. but they saw an Instagram post, Billy Hume, who worked with the lead singer to Google Dolls and Lil John. I got him on my podcast and we did an hour long conversation because he liked one of my videos that I did off the cuff. Yeah. And so that kind of shows you like, if you just put yourself out there, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know? so. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and then I think the other thing that we forget about um, is that a website is regardless of how big of a musician you are, a website is, is an important piece of this. And, um, you know, where you can create the opportunities for people to engage further, sign up for your newsletter. Um, mm -hmm. Even if you're not putting out a newsletter, um, put sign up for my newsletter on your website and start collecting email addresses, um, you know, sooner than later. Um, you know, creating... you a newsletter is better than a blog. Like I do a blog and, um, and there's, a, there's a blogger page on my website. 
and then mm-hmm. I have a blog and they always put blogs out consistently like three, four times a week. Uh, yeah. But I never thought of doing the newsletter because I thought, well, I already do the blog, but you think it's like not redundant? So I don't think it's redundant. I think what you, you structure your newsletter to drive traffic to the blog, right? Mm, okay. The, the winning, the, where you're winning well with a newsletter is you're collecting people's information, right? You're oh, okay. collecting ways to actually connect with people um, other than hoping that they come to your website, right? And so, you know, that's, you now own their names and their email addresses because they signed up for your newsletter. Okay. And you still get, you think email still gets good engagement or does text better than email? Um, it depends. Um, it depends what you're trying to drive. I think for a regular presence, email newsletters get still are a phenomenal tool because you can put, links to multiple different pieces of content or things that you have going on in there um, where text, I think is a little more purpose driven. Um, you know, I might send a text for, if I was a musician out to, you know, Hey, we're going to be at so-and-so bar Friday night, you know, yeah. eight o'clock. Like that's a great opportunity for text for text where a newsletter is going to be a little bit slower burn on that. So you, yeah. you have to like lead that out further um, and you know, so I think, I think they both have their place. You just have to figure out which yeah. work for your audience. And this is so the other think, piece. So you think text is good for like scheduling or letting people know, okay, I'm going to be at this signing. I'm going to mm-hmm. be at the concert, right? I'm going to be yeah. on TV. Like if you want to have something scheduled that the text is the better way yeah. of getting people to know about it, then the the slower burn on the newsletter is for something like deeper content, right? Yeah. Yeah. Album drop, you know, is another great one, right. For text, like, Hey, album drop at 10 AM next Tuesday, you know, use the Mm -hmm. link below to, to pre-order your copy. Like, you know, that's, that's like a gold, you know, it's a great way to. Are there preferred tools for that? I mean, do you go to a person like you to get something like that? Or do you actually tell people where to go, where the best tools for that type of thing are so there are thousands and thousands of tools out there and they all offer a little bit different thing and i i'm very very um very very insistent that i will never recommend one single tool Um, in fact i'm very very selective about who my affiliate partners are as well um Mm -hmm. because you know, I, I work with people in the building and trades industry a lot. I work with people in small business, you know, Main Street America. Um, I work with corporations that have, you know, hundreds, hundreds of employees. And the tools that I would recommend for uh, a roofer versus, you know, a call center um, that's got, yeah, you know, got a site, you know, are going to be drastically different, right? And so... You know, I always say do the research on the tools. There's tons of them out there. Um, mm-hmm. Find the tools that are going to give you. Uh, I look for a couple of things, right? So one is, you know, can I afford it? That's always where I start. You know, can you afford this? And it's not just can you afford this this month? If this is a year down the road, can you still afford this tool, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if nothing else changes, are you okay with that investment? You know, um, the second piece is I always look at feature sets, right? You know, obviously, S, you know, SMS, but if they have uh, email campaign tools built into that platform as well, now you can use two, 
you know, one tool for two different things for multiple a, things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I look at those kind of feature sets. So is there a tool that has email and SMS? There's a ton of them out there, right? And can you get stats from some of these on the engagement? Like, like the oh, one yeah. I would want is I want to know, okay, you did this, but how many people actually hit it? Mm -hmm. Right. Can you track yeah. that? Can you tell me that they actually hit the, they hit the link? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we code links so that, you know, you can see it in analytics. We code links so that you can see it within the email or the SMS platform that you're using. Um, you know, it is very, very easy to track a lot of that, though. You know, the new Facebook and Apple security stuff is making that um, slightly more difficult. Uh, you know, it's changing the game a little bit. And it, I think in it, from a consumer perspective in a good way. Um, but you know, it's, it's all there. You just, okay. yeah. you have to know, you know, you, you have to look at it. I don't know a single platform that doesn't have some sort of analytics integrated into it. Um, cool. you know, but you're looking for things like how many people actually opened it. So that's open rate, you know, um, you're also yeah. looking for click through rate as well. So any links you have in the email. Did they click on any one of those links? And that click-through rate is a comparison of how many people opened it versus how many people actually opened it and clicked on a link. Yeah, and so, then you have to kind of try to convert that to like, okay, if somebody was going to buy mm -hmm. like the sales, you got to convert. Like they click through, did they actually put their credit card in or PayPal? Did they actually buy it? Yep. Does anybody ever go that far to tell you that oh, they yeah. actually went and bought it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So, um, so that's, that's tying everything together, right? So that you're going to use not only your, your email or SMS software to track what happened with that campaign, but then you're going to go into your Google analytics and you're going to, we set up conversions in our Google analytics. And basically what that means is when they buy a product and they hit a certain page, that um, we get that gets marked as a conversion. And so we look at conversion rate and we go, okay, you know, we use these, these set of links and we had a 40% conversion rate or a 30% conversion rate off of this set of links, you know, and that, that was driven from this campaign. And so we tie all that data together. Then with all that information, you could actually determine like, am, is this profitable? Is this, does this actually make sense? Is it, you know, yep. I'm paying X amount. How much did I get in for how much I put in? <laughs> you know, how, yeah, how much exactly. I put out, you know, because at the end of the day, look, well, I ran this for a year and I don't actually see a good return on my investment. I don't see the engagement. I don't see the numbers. So maybe I got to switch gears and do something else. But maybe you got to do yep. it faster than that. Maybe you don't want to take a year to do that. Like, w would you do it based on a month, two months, quarter? Say, you know, what, what's kind of what's so, your return? Yeah, so typically, if we run a campaign, we're going to run usually three to six mess messages through that campaign, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, every person is not going to just receive one email or one text message. They're going to receive a, a string, you know, text messages is usually two or three. Um, emails is as many as six or seven um, over a period of time. What I'm looking for is I'm looking at that campaign and i'm going okay so email one did this and yielded these results email two did this and yielded these results email three and now i'm going to look at that not only from an individual email perspective or an ind individual sms 
perspective. Now I'm going to look at the campaign performance as a whole. And typically those campaigns are going to run, you know, typically I'd say anywhere from 14 to like 25 days is, mm-hmm. is kind of that range. I mean, you know, you set it up and you tailor it depending on what you're trying to do when things are fall, you know, when things like an album is launching, things like that. Um, you know what that all looks like Um, but we look at it individually and campaign and we go what worked what didn't work right because if we just look at the campaign we can go well we didn't we only yielded a 10 percent conversion on this whole campaign cool that's you know we want to see more than that we know we know there's some opportunity there but then we go look at the individual we go well email three saw a 40% conversion while everything else saw nothing. So what did we do in email three that worked, mm-hmm. right? And now we can actually yeah, create the next campaign based on what worked on email three and go, how do we create seven of those emails, right? And so it's it's kind of a long game, right? You know, I work in, um, um, with um you know getting attention you know how how you're actually doing and and i guess the sooner you know it the the faster you can course correct mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah definitely yeah. um and yeah right because the better the more real real time your results are that you get that information back to you then you can make you don't have to take months or weeks or i guess you froze there for a second yep oh sorry did you have a low technical issue <laughs> okay yeah but, i, yeah, I, yeah, I, I understand, but... share. i apologize that's okay but um yeah i think the course correction capability is is really important because like a lot of times you put the record oh you let the vendor tell you if people were actually you have to return it to the company or not because you didn't sell it you know now because you've got streams information you didn't have to wait for the paper records from the stores to come back you know you can get immediate feedback Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's the great thing of, you know, the online platforms, right, you know, is you can see immediately, um, you know, 24 hours, you can see, you know, what what is this going to do? Are people receptive to it? Are people not receptive to it? Um, 48 hours, 72 hours, you know, now we can look at this daily, yeah. you know, the, I think that uh, we have to be smart about how we look at it, though. And not be obsessive about it um you know obviously Mm -hmm. you know i i like to i like to look at marketing you know in the 24 hour the seven day and then the 30 day window right um you know what what happened in the first 24 hours this is especially you know true with like um you know like email campaigns sms campaigns you know that's when most of the activity happens. But then we look at it as a whole from an activity perspective. Did people go back to it? What did we see at seven days? Did we see any improvement? And then what are we seeing at 30 days with the overall brand, right? Are we seeing more engagement because of this activity? 
Yeah, I guess you got to give it time. It's like with music sometimes. Like sometimes, like you, the day you put it out, you got all your hardcore fans that get it, right? So you could get mm -hmm. like your total fan base can suddenly get it, and all your numbers are peaking, and then it drops off until it can get to another audience. So it's got to be able yeah. to get in the game, and, and it, sometimes like it's weird with like that. Suddenly you're like, oh, Australia suddenly likes it, and it, like 15 days after it, it goes crazy. You're like, well, I didn't even predict that. Right, because it's mm -hmm. like sorry, you don't know. So, like, you could jump the gun and say, "Well, I want to put all my attention into this country or that country or whatever." But sometimes you kind of gotta let it go and then say, "Oh, that's where we should tour, because that's where everybody is listening now." So I, I gotta go to Iceland. I gotta go to Netherlands. Like, you know, you, you kind of go where it, where it hits. But you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, and that's it, right? You know, so how are you talking to those people and where it's hitting? Um, you know, and, and where is it, where is it resonating? Where is it not resonating? And then the bigger question to ask is where it's not resonating. Why is it not resonating? Right. Yeah. Um, because that's going to provide you the, do I even spend time, effort or energy in that segment? Right? Yeah. Sometimes sometimes yeah, it's not a scene there. I mean, when it comes to music, sometimes your scene is is kind of regionalized. Mm -hmm. so if you get if you're an electronic musician, like you you got a big scene in Los Angeles, big scene in New York, get to the Midwest, you might not kick, right? Yep. Then you may have to hit like Berlin. You might have to hit. So you start hitting outside the U.S. because you start hitting those zones where EDM trance. That's where people like it, right? So you're yep. not going to hit it in Albuquerque, maybe, maybe not. You know, but mm -hmm. you, might, you, might, you might hit it in Morgantown, but you hit it in Berlin. You might hit it in, in, in Australia. You might hit it, you know, in Iceland or Latvia. Yeah. You know, you, you never know. But but that's kind of like, do you waste a Google ad campaign trying to hit Iowa mm -hmm. when everybody really is in Europe or Asia? <laughs> yeah, no. And that's exactly right. You know, I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if we try and talk to everybody, we actually end up talking to nobody. Right. So, um, you know, so it's, it's, how do we identify where, where the people are at, who they are and what they love so that we can talk to them specifically, because the marketing that we connect with and the advertising that we connect with is the advertising that feels like it's speaking to us directly. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about it like, um, I don't know if you get, you know, spam sales pitches and in, in your social media, I get a ton of them, yeah. you know, and they're just like, you know, um, we can help you with, you know, uh, low cost via virtual assistance from all over the world. I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't need low cost virtual assistance from all over the world. Like if you read like my stuff, like that's not what I'm about. I'm about. Yeah. providing a, a higher level experience that that isn't going to come from you know uh, a, a five dollar an hour va from vietnam that can you know barely speak english right you know so you yeah. know not to say that there isn't a space for all of that because there is it's just not in my business you know but yeah, the yeah. ones that i respond to are the ones that are like hey so i saw your post about this this and this and i was really interested in how you talked about this let's have a conversation Okay, so right. they actually know something. You know that they actually look at what you do. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole thing with music. Like if somebody comes to me and says they're going to market me, but then they can't they can't tell me what their favorite song is in my <laughs> catalog, and then they can't tell me 
like where they would pitch me based on my style. Yep. And they just with some kind of generic thing. I'm going to be like, well, you don't even really know who I am. So how am I going to engage <laughs> with you? Like a really thing that the people, if you're going to do that kind of marketing, what you're saying is that you do know, they need to know the client, right? Mm -hmm. You should probably do a little research, you know, read about what they do, find something that you like and, and kind of be able to talk to them about it so that they'll, they'll trust you more if yep. they realize that you actually have actually done a little bit of research. <laughs> Yeah, and to translate this into the music scene, right? So in the music scene, you know, we take this and we go, okay, so let's look at the breakdown of where people are listening to your music. What the, what's their age group? You know, what's their, uh, you know, what's their economic status, right? You know, um, are they, is it a global audience? Is it a not global audience? You know, the way you talk to somebody in Europe is going to be a bit different than the way you talk to somebody in the U S versus the way you talk to somebody in the Asia Pacific. Um, and, and so we have to stop and we have to go, okay, so we know that we have this core group in major metropolitan areas in the United States that is between 25 and 35 and they're just starting families and they're just starting, uh, you know, they're just getting into their, careers right so now we can look at this and we can go okay as a musician if i talk about my family and my kids a little bit um i can connect with these people that are just starting families and just getting started in life you know because it's like we can talk about all the cool things that my kids are accomplishing yeah, yeah you have a connection yeah. yeah we do have to connect with the audience you know it's mm -hmm. like like with like you know i've heard the example we had the advertiser or marketer trying to connect with the client like that yep. you have to know who you, what, what your audience is interested in, right? Yep, so exactly. So if you yeah. if you're not selling them what they want, then <laughs> they're gonna disengage. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we have to be human about it too. You know, and that we talked about that a little bit earlier as well. You know, it's it's how do we create this humanistic approach? You know, people want to be sold, but they don't want to be sold too. So because that's a very cold experience. So. How do we connect with people on this human level where it becomes almost, a, I, you know, dare say it, a relationship with that person on a more personal level? And we do that through, you know, making sure that our messaging feels human, right? You know, it doesn't feel like a robot typed it out. Um, it, you know, we, we're creating genuine moments. You know, this is why I love video content, right? Even if it's not your music playing but just video content in general you know um i i for a hot minute despised the walking down the sidewalk in my neighborhood videos on my cell phone videos like because they were all over the place but then as i started to think about them like those are real moments like hey i'm just out on my morning walk i was thinking about this i thought i'd share this with you right you know yeah. it's like a real moment that makes yeah, you like feel like a human you know and so I, yeah when so, they, like, like, yeah, when I started encouraging artists I work with was like, oh, why don't you show them when you're like cooking? Like, mm -hmm. like I, I started like people making pancakes, people baking cookies, you know? So you don't really see like an EDM artist or some kind of like, you know, rock artist. Oh, I'm, I'm baking cookies today. <laughs> you know, so it's not something you normally would associate. So, so if you show them you being more human, right? Mm -hmm. you're, like, you're baking a cake. You're like, yeah. oh, but you're like some big metalhead but you're baking a cake you know it's like they think that wow i didn't expect that you know yeah you know it's all about 
those personality moments, right? You know, um, in you know, Guy Fieri, uh, you know, um, Food Network star, right? He's created a brand around human moments, right? He's so his, his he talks a lot about food, but you know, he came to the scene in diners, drive-ins, and dives, which was all about the people behind these iconic places in Main Street America, you know, that were doing great things and. And he's continued that throughout his persona. And now he's brought his kids into it and he brings other chefs into it. And, you know, yeah, it's all about cooking, but it's all about the stories around cooking. Well, it's like real life experience. It's not just like watching mm-hmm. like um, the old school, like Julia Childs, you know, doing her thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm kind of, it dates me. But but one of the things I also think is cool is like if you think about kind of sales experience, I remember like growing up in the 70s and the fuller brush band coming to the house. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the fact that my mom would let them in and, and actually usually would buy something because yeah. the, they, that technique, like the old vacuum sales um, people that would because it was personal because they, mm-hmm. they these are guys that are sales guys, but they figured out in the house and they usually could sell something. You know, and, yep. and it, because it was a it was a relationship, it wasn't just watching it on TV. They actually were in the house and they let you try it. And as a kid, I saw that. I said, "Well, wow, that that's different than the TV commercial. That this mm-hmm. is like somebody actually like here with the product, and I get to try it." And you know, I don't know if people even do that anymore because of COVID, but um, but yeah, I, I think that was like a hands-on thing. You know, I kind of yeah. learned a little bit. Yeah, it's that that tactile moment. Um, so they use it still all, quite a bit in the home services industry. Um, so like roofing and like pest control, um, you know, remodelers. Um, they still use that technique a lot, and it's great because you know you're at somebody's house. You're talking about you know, especially a house, right? You know, it's their mm-hmm. most prized possession. It's the most expensive thing that anybody owns is their house. So. Um, of course, they want to do everything they can to take care of it. And so when you're in front of them and you can talk about how we can help you protect your most valuable asset, you know, now all of a sudden it's it's a different conversation than, you know, Joe the roofer calls me up on the phone and um, I see, you know, I see this number I've never, you know, never recognized, don't know yeah. what it is. And, you know, I'm yeah. like, well, okay, maybe I'll answer it, right? You know, um, and you answer it, and you, you know, hi, I'm Joe the Roofer. I want to talk to you about your roof, and you're like, but you don't even know what my roof looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like my dad was like, uh, my the thing, my dad was an insurance agent, and he mm-hmm. had to do those cold calls, but he really liked, you know, actually doing like he he ended up doing research to figure out who was agent. Like, up the real estate right and then go try to find the new homeowners yep and then kind of get you probably need to cover your cover your lives you need to cover that that car you need to cover that and then he was able to actually get really good engagement because he did the research to figure out where the new homeowners were you know figure out where mm-hmm. kids were going to school you know get all kinds of data he started doing all kinds of data and he got really bad you know, like where you can take those kind of techniques and uh, and use them. It was like he was using fact-based information, using mm-hmm. information he could get, and, and better than just doing a cold call. What the cold call is like, it wasn't getting me anywhere. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, I, I did a campaign for a roofer where we actually worked on strategically uh, shifting his whole mindset around uh, canvassing. Um, and we went into the city records and looked at the real estate records and we found all the developments that were between 14 and 20 years old and said, you go, you go find, you go canvas all of these because all of these are right prime for new roofs. You know, and, um, hmm, you know, instead of just a spray and pray, um, yeah. strategy. And then the other thing we did is we looked at all the permits that were pulled in the last year in those areas, um, cause it's all public record and we go, okay, so we know that there's 26 houses in this neighborhood of 120 houses that have all had their roof redone in the last year. Here's who pulled the permit, you know, and, and. You know, so you can go talk to them about other services that you offer, but don't offer a roof. And um, all of a sudden in those areas, when we started that really targeted canvassing strategy, um, all of a sudden he yeah. start, went from closing about 30% of his roofs to closing like almost 70% of his roofs because, well, now we're in an engaged audience that needs a roof. <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. I think part of our history we don't uh sorry we don't tend to go over but i think we had a really good conversation we actually went over and i think it's really that, it, that this is information i think that any business person can use whether you're an artist or you're doing any kind of thing that you could always increase your um capability and i think you pointed out things in terms of preparation plan and in research that I think anybody uh, that's in the, in the business of podcasting or any business can can take a lot of good uh, advice from. I, I, I'm very happy that you were here today. I think a lot of people benefit from a replay of this and listening to what we said. So I, I thank you for being on the program. Appreciate you for having me. Really do. Well, thank you. Have a, have a good day. Have a good rest of the day. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks so much.